Well, good morning, guys. If you don't know, I'm Pastor Jason. I'm so glad you're here with us this morning. I was actually gone last week, and I missed you guys desperately. I was on vacation. It wasn't a very good vacation either. Because we got eaten alive by ants and bees and yellow jackets and squirrels. And it was crazy. Like the fattest squirrels you've ever seen. Like the size of a football. Anywho. Um, <laughs> well, it is my very rich pleasure this morning to introduce you to a friend of the mission. Uh, her and her family have just, within the last several months, made the mission their home church. And, and uh, Tara and Ivan and their little boy Ezra. Ezra, I don't know if you've seen him running around the church, but he is like... The cutest little fireball you've ever seen in your life. Like, he is just adorable. And um, I've I've had the pleasure of having some conversations with Tara one-on-one, me and my wife and stuff. And and every time I walk away from a conversation with Tara, I feel challenged, right? I feel like she always gives me so much to think about. And so I'm really looking forward to... uh, to hearing what she has to say this morning, what the Lord has to say through her, no pressure, and um, just kidding. <laughs> and so would you please welcome Tara. Pause and turn on my microphone. Hi, that's better. Details. <laughs> All right, back to the city. So, his mind paused to dwell on the differences between his life now Versus his life before. It had changed so much since the last time he had been in his hometown. He was no longer the same person. When he left Colisee, he planned never to return. But he had a lot of plans back then. Are you ready to go? His companion asked. Anismus, we got to get, get moving if we're going to make it into the city. His thoughts were interrupted. They had already delivered one letter to the church in Ephesus, a city about 100 miles away. And now they still carried two letters with them, one to the church in Colossae to be read to the whole congregation, and the other a personal letter to the man who owned the home the church met in. This was the letter that made Onesimus' heart sink within him. What would happen? So much time had passed and so much had changed. Just the fact that he was now voluntarily going back into the city was proof of the radical change in his innermost being. He had left Colossae seeking his freedom. He had plotted his escape for long. He no longer wanted to be a slave. He wanted freedom. He wanted to escape from his master escape from his miserable existence. And when the opportunity came at last, he stole money from his master and fled to Rome. Rome was large and diverse. Rome was the capital of a powerful empire. And in Rome, he could hide among the masses. In Rome, he could start over and make a new life for himself. In Rome, he could be free. He could be his own master. And it was true. In Rome, he found his freedom, but it was not the freedom he expected. His time of being his own master taught him that no matter how far he fled, he could not escape his own miserable existence. 
As his own master, he was still a tyrant, enslaved to his own selfish desires, and he longed for a deeper freedom, but he did not know how far he would have to run to find it. While he was there, he met a man who, while a prisoner under house arrest, had a freedom that Onesimus coveted. This man chose imprisonment over silence, and Onesimus found himself captivated by the words the man spoke. He had heard about this man before. His former master had spoken of Paul upon his return from Ephesus a few years back. During a trip to their neighboring city, his master came home transformed and talking about this new life he had found in Christ. And after hearing the words of this man, Paul, his master's life changed dramatically, and he began a church that met in their home, and now many from the, from the city also were believers. Onesimus hadn't paid much attention before. All he had cared about was himself at that point. But then in Rome, he found that living for himself wasn't all he thought it would be, and this man, Paul, intrigued him. He couldn't figure out why his path had crossed paths with Paul. The words that Paul said cut deep into his heart and shed light into his miserable existence and gave him a hope that pierced his soul. He wanted this new life. He wanted the new kind of life that he could not find on his own no matter how many times he would run to start over. Onesimus visited Paul more and more and more as time went by. And since Paul could not leave home because he was on house arrest, Paul began to send Onesimus on the errands that Paul couldn't do. Soon, Onesimus found himself fully engaged in the work of encouraging the new churches in the city and getting Paul the supplies he needed to be able to keep sharing the gospel fearlessly even though he was in prison for doing that. Paul welcomed Onesimus into his company and took him under his wing like a father with his son and taught him about this man, Jesus. With his own eyes, Onesimus saw miracles and saw the power of this new life. And it was unlike anything he had ever known or dreamed of. Not only did Paul welcome Onesimus into this new life with Christ, but he gave him a sense of purpose through being able to assist Paul in the work with the early church. He found that he had purpose which is something he had never experienced before during his life as a slave. Paul often joked with him about this. You see, Onesimus, his name, means useful. And Paul would make fun of him saying, in your former life, you were useless. But now, you've finally lived out your name. You are now useful. And Onesimus found it was true. In his heart and soul, he was transformed. And he liked being useful for a change. He would have been content to stay in Rome forever, helping Paul. But God had different plans, like he does for many of us. One day, 
Paul confronted Onesimus with that which he had tried to run from most, his past. Onesimus, he said, you need to go back. You have to go back to your master. It's time for you to make it right. How his heart sank with those words. He knew he was right. He knew he had to go back, but he did not want to go. Paul's letters were almost complete. For weeks, Paul had been carefully writing churches to the to the writing churches. Writing letters to the churches in Ephesus and Colossae. And Onesimus and his compa- <coughs> companion, Tychicus, which will make anybody stumble over their words, were appointed to carry the letters back to the churches and share news about how Paul fared in his imprisonment and to deliver Onesimus back to his master. Along with the two letters, Paul slipped in a third letter, a personal letter to his friend and Onesimus's former master, Philemon. This is to help introduce you back to Philemon, Paul said, with a kind, encouraging wink. I would much rather keep you here with me, but I cannot keep you without your master's consent. You did wrong, and you need to make it right. I cannot compel him to forgive you or to free you, but we can send you back to him with the, and give him the opportunity to listen to the Spirit for himself. He'll have the opportunity to make it right and to do what he thinks is best, and that will be better for everyone. My prayers and love go with you on your journey, my son. Anisimus dreaded this introduction. Roman laws for runaway slaves were harsh. In most major cities, up to half the population were slaves. They were the workforce that kept the city going. Without that workforce, the cities and the economy would crumble. And so the laws to make sure slaves stayed in their place were especially hard on runaway slaves. Onesimus knew that by law, his master Philemon had every right to punish him, to flog him, or even crucify him, which was a very common punishment fit for runaway slaves. Sometimes runaway slaves would be taken to a hot iron and branded so everyone who saw them would know that they were a runaway slave and that they should be given back to their masters. Even worse than running away, Onesimus knew he had stolen money from his, pa- from his master and he deserved even more punishment for that. Yet, he needed to make it right. Jesus had forgiven him, washed away his sins and given him new life. His master needed to have the opportunity to do the same. And with a sense of awe and ever-increasing indebtedness, Onesimus saw that in the letter that Paul was writing, Paul promised to pay back any of Onesimus's debts to Philemon. If you consider me a partner, Paul wrote, welcome him as you would welcome me. 
He spoke to Philemon on Onesimus' behalf, requesting their transformed and healed relationship. It would be different now. It must be different now. Philemon and Onesimus were no longer just master and slave. They were brothers and fellow workers in Christ. They were both working to bring the gospel into their cities. They had both been mentored and poured into by the same spiritual father, Paul. They both had experienced the power of new life in Christ, and they found a new purpose that transcended all of their former goals for their lives. Onesimus continued walking towards Colossae, towards his master, towards home, towards his past, and towards his future. He was not sure what his fate would be, but he knew he now belonged to the Almighty God. He was a new creation. He was redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And that changes everything. For the past few weeks, we've been talking about unknown stories of grace. We talked about Mephibosheth and the grace that he was given by King David, who remembered him, though he was a cripple. Last week, we talked about the story of Hosea and Gomer. Gomer, the unfaithful wife who was redeemed by her husband, though she did not deserve it. And this week, we are on to talk about the story of Onesimus. Remember, we talked about grace being that undeserved favor, the, that which is not deserved, which Christ so well demonstrated when he gave his life for us, and now we are each called to demonstrate to those in our lives as well. In the story of Onesimus, we can see grace throughout the entire story. The grace that God had on Onesimus, the grace that Paul had on Onesimus, and the grace that Onesimus is seeking from his master, Philemon. But we can also talk about redemption. It is a story of grace, but so often grace is inextricably, shouldn't use big words if I can't pronounce them, is connected with redemption. Redemption simply can be defined as to buy back, to, to repurchase, to rescue with a ransom. To buy back, repurchase, to rescue with a ransom. If we talk about redeeming something, you can redeem a coupon at the market, right? You can sell a ring to a pawn shop and go back and redeem it so it's yours again. You can redeem a prisoner who's been held ransom. You can redeem a slave. Buy them from the slave market and give them their freedom. In our Christian lives, we also see redemption. We are bought back and given new life. We are bought out of our previous life and brought into an opportunity for new life. And... In <coughs> excuse me, the story of Onesimus, we can see it as a story of redemption, of beautiful redemption. Unfortunately, we don't know a lot about Onesimus. 
Um, All what we know about him was pieced together from a very short letter that Paul wrote to his master Philemon. It's one of the prison epistles that you'll find in the New Testament. And it's a whopping 25 verses. There's not even chapters. There's just the one chapter. And it's one of the more personal letters that Paul wrote. Unlike some of the other epistles that Paul wrote, which give a lot of theology and stuff that you usually memorize when you're in Sunday school and good stuff, you usually don't have to memorize a lot from the book of Philemon because it's like memorizing something that is written to your Aunt Sadie from your mom when you were bad. Uh, it's, it's a personal letter. It wasn't meant to be doctrine or to be educating. It's, it's just Paul writing to his friend on his other friend's behalf and saying, yes, this guy did wrong, but that was then, this is now. Can we bring reconciliation? <coughs> What's the rest of the story? What did Philemon know? Do what happened next? We have no idea. <laughs> um, did Anisimus get to rejoin Paul? Did he get his freedom? Did he spend out the rest of his life as a slave? God knows. I guess someday we'll get to ask in heaven and find out. But we can see in Anisimus's life the beauty of a single thread. My single thread, which is so small that it walked away from me. But that's okay. I have more. (laughs) We have the beauty of a single thread, which you cannot see the purpose of it when it's just like this. However, when that single thread is combined with a lot of other threads and is seen from the purpose of a master craftsman, a master weaver who puts all of those threads together, that single thread begins to have purpose. It begins to take on form and color and strength. I can't rip this in half, can I? You'd be pretty impressed if I could, though. <laughs> I'd be pretty impressed if I could. That one thread becomes a work of art. Does that one thread know that it's going to become a leaf or a flower? Probably not. There's the only one that knows that is the one who can step far enough back to see what's being made. The only way to really understand how our lives fit into God's big picture of redemption is to recognize our lives are only a single thread. And it is our incredibly creative, powerful, omniscient God who is the one weaving the threads together. Why else? Would Onesimus run into Paul in the middle of Rome? Why else would Onesimus run to Rome? It's all part of what the master weaver is doing. 
God's kingdom story encompasses more people and times and places than I can even begin to comprehend or imagine. And as we talk about redemption, we have to recognize that redemption has two sides to it. The first part of redemption is the fact that we are redeemed from our past, our sin, our backgrounds. We all came from somewhere. Like the story of Hosea and Gomer. Like when we talk about the story of the prodigal son, we think about this is how we were then, this is who we are now. In my life growing up in the church, I was always taught to give my testimony as this is who I was then, this is how I came to Christ, and this is who I am now. And there's nothing wrong with that. It is a powerful story of redemption. Christ did redeem me and bring new life to me. But it's only half the story. And if I stop there, I'm going to miss so much more of what God is actually doing in my life. You see, we are redeemed from our past. We are redeemed from our sin. We are redeemed from the power of sin and darkness. But we are redeemed for a purpose. We were chosen before we were even born to partake and join in God's kingdom purposes in his world. Our redemption doesn't start stop with our changed life. Our redemption is only the beginning of our changed life. Amen. I didn't learn this half of the story until I was much older. See, I got while I grew up in a Christian home and I didn't necessarily begin my relationship with Christ until I was around 12 or so. <coughs> and at that point I had been taught very well on sharing my testimony, but it wasn't until I was in high school that I realized that there was more to life than myself. <laughs> Which is probably a lesson we all have to learn in high school, right? But in high school, God blessed me with the opportunity to be with people smarter than myself. Uh, we had a youth pastor who was audacious enough to think that high schoolers had something to add to the world. And he took a bunch of us and said, Hey, your life is not about yourself. Your life is about how God can use you in the lives of others. You can be a leader. You can be called by Christ to share the gospel with others and to speak life and truth into the lives of others. And all of a sudden I had a paradigm shift of, you mean life isn't just about myself? My relationship with God isn't just about going to church. It's about also impacting the lives of others. And God began to work on my heart that the desire to be able to join with him in the work that he wanted to do. To be able to use my life to also impact other lives. To be able to see my redemption intertwining with the lives of other people's redemption. Now, we can see in Ephesians, which the other letter that Onesimus was carrying. Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, so that no one, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, 
created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We have both sides of redemption here. It is by grace we have been saved, not by works. Meaning the good things that we do are not what gets us our salvation. But because of our salvation, we are able to partner with God in order to do good good works. Because we are God's handiwork, his craftsmanship, his tapestry. We are the marks of the master weaver at work to be able to bring redemption to the world. Now, if we get if we get this verse backwards, it can cause problems, right? The best analogy I can give is uh, with my son lately, who's two and a half and very two and a half. He <coughs> really likes to be helpful, and as two and a half year olds are, his desire doesn't always mean he's actually helpful. I mean, he's very good at throwing my groceries in the trash because they're in a trash bag and putting his trucks in the washing machine because they need to be washed and putting my Tupperware in the recycling bin. But he wants to be helpful. Now, if he is trying to be helpful in order to earn my love, it's going to be an epic fail because it's not it's really not helpful. <laughs> but if he's being helpful because he loves his mother and he wants to please me and he wants to join in the work that I do around the house, then I'm going to be I'm going to love it because he loves me and he's doing it because he loves me, okay? He can't earn my love. He, he's my baby. He doesn't have to earn my love. He already has it. Good days and bad, right? <coughs> but he is, has the opportunity to join in the work of being a family, to join in learning how to be an adult. And he can learn how to be helpful in ways that are actually helpful. He set the table yesterday, and we ended up with only two spoons as opposed to 50. We made progress, right? Each week, we're going to grow a little more. We learn to be helpful. And how much like little children are we with God? If we go to God and say, look at all the good things I did. Do you love me now? He's going to say, no, I don't love you because of the good that you did. If I needed good done, I'd do it myself, right? <laughs> it's like the little toddler trying to be helpful. The good that we do is nothing compared to what God can do. But the good that we do when it's out of love for our God and wanting to imitate him and learn to be like him, then it's a beautiful thing and it makes his heart smile in the same way that a mother's heart is warmed by the efforts of her children. <laughs> Excuse me. Now, I want you to notice, as God's handiwork created in Christ have good works which God prepared in advance before you were even born. God created you with exactly an idea of the good works that you were supposed to do already figured out. You might not even know what they are. In the same way that that leaf didn't know it was going to be a leaf. God is working in equipping his church and his people 
to create his big picture story of redemption in the world. Our lives, each of us as a body of Christ, are the threads that together, when combined as a church and as a body and overflowing into the world around us, has the potential to change the world and to overflow to bring redemption to others. And our past redemption, what we are redeemed from, is our impetus, our, our motivation to move us into what we are being redeemed for. <coughs> Just like with Philemon, uh, Paul told Philemon in Philemon 11 through 13, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. I am sending him back, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. Paul wrote to Philemon, reminding him of Onesimus' changed life. He was useless, and now he has become useful. We are the same. Before Christ, we were useless. After Christ, we are invited to partner with God into learning how to become useful. <laughs> slowly by slowly, like little toddlers, one day at a time. But we are invited to learn, and it's our privilege and our opportunity. Now, <coughs> water break. Excuse me. Ooh, all right. Here we go. So, what's the point? What do we do from here? <laughs> How does the story of Onesimus tie into our lives on a daily basis? Now, Onesimus knew that he could go back voluntarily into slavery because he knew that he was only a single thread in the hand of a great weaver. He could surrender his life, his, his plans, his own ideas of usefulness into God's hands, knowing that that is exactly where they would give God the most glory. He found freedom in slavery to Christ, and this new life gave him the power to return to his old life. Now, for each and every one of you, you have your own story of redemption. You may not see the purpose of your single thread now, but God does. He puts you exactly where it is that he wants you to be, with the exact giftings that he wants to use. And he knows exactly how he wants to use you to build his kingdom. Church, each one of you is gifted. You are important. You are chosen. And you are loved. During my short time at the mission, I've only been here a couple of months, I've been so blessed to see the giftings come out and to see the beautiful artwork that God creates through his people at this church. I am blessed when I come to church and find the coffees made. 
when I find someone's been praying for me and remembers my name. When somebody has the grace to chase my child and change his dirty diaper. God bless you for your spiritual giftings. <laughs> From those that lead worship to those that know how to just make people feel at home and feel loved. Each of you has an incredible gifting that you have to offer this body. And you have been invited by the Almighty God who empowers us each for his mission to join in his kingdom work in the world, in this church, and outside. You have the power to bring light into darkness and to bring healing to the broken. And I want to encourage you to use it. Nothing can hinder this church more than people who don't know how gifted that they are and how much that they have to offer. If you remain as a single thread and you don't let yourself be used, we are all missing part of the tapestry. We need you. We need your gifts. The world needs you. Our neighborhoods need you. Our schools need you. God knows what he has gifted you with. And I challenge you to ask him. Spend time with him in prayer. Listen to him and say, God, what have you made me for? What are, what are my gifts? What have you called me to? And where are you calling me to serve? And do that, knowing that it's not by your strength, it's by his. And the end result is not in your hands, it's in his. And we serve because... We love Christ and not because we think we're really going to do anything useful. Yeah. Right? It's the only God that makes us useful. Now, <coughs> at this point, I want to be able to invite you to have an opportunity to think about your own story of redemption. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. We're going to um, move into a time of prayer and offering. And I invite you all to close your eyes and think about your own story. <coughs> what has God redeemed you from? Where has your journey taken you? And now I want you to think about what has he redeemed you for? Ask him to show you where it is that he wants you to serve, what your purpose is, what your calling is. you to ask who is it that you can share your own story of redemption with this week there's paper in the seats in front of you you can write down what you feel like God is leading you to to remind yourself throughout the week Lord we thank you for your grace we thank you for your redemption. We thank you for inviting us to join in your work, join in your beautiful purpose. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to equip and grow and transform this church and so transform this community. <coughs> we pray that you would bless this offering as we give from our own resources to be able to fund the work that you're doing. We pray that you would bless it and use it to build your kingdom.
We pray all these things in your name. Amen.